Hey everybody, you're listening to episode 87 of Two Views Movies Podcast on Pet Cemetery. Wanna ring the bell? Alright. Ding ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast from Kansas City, Missouri, by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And we're talking Pet Cemetery today, the, the new remake of the 1989 movie and also the 1983 book by Stephen King. I think we're going to come at this one pretty unique, right? Because I finished the book at 5 o'clock on Thursday and then went out and saw this movie and I have never seen the 1989 movie but you're coming at it from a completely different angle. Yeah, we watched the uh the original about a month ago once we saw maybe about 2 months ago once we saw the uh the trailer for the new one. So we we threw that in and and got a refresher on it. But no, I have not read the book. So you say refresher, you've seen the 1989 movie before you just watched it a month or two ago? Yeah, I mean, I saw it when I was when I was a kid. I saw that one and the second one, and I can't now after watching the first one. I don't remember a lot of the second one at all. Um, but yes, I had seen it before, but needed to see it again. Okay, did it like did it stick with you as a kid? I'd always heard it was super scary, and I just never got around to watching it when I was a kid. No, more the concept was was scarier. And, and, okay. and again, maybe maybe the second one's scarier. I I don't remember, but I don't. None of this reminded me of what I had seen when I watched it again, and so maybe I just watched the second one a whole bunch. Well, that that makes sense. But it'll be interesting to see how we how we compare these. I am going to go watch the 1989 movie when it came out. I read the book before it came out, and then I went and watched the uh, 1990s it. Uh, miniseries before I saw the It movie. And on this one, I decided I, I would cram the book in, but not go for the movie. So I, I just, I wanted to have the book and that's it. But now I'm going to go back and watch the 89 movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested to, because usually you're the one who watches the original film uh, first. Uh, so it's going to be new, you coming backwards like I tend to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into this, a few housekeeping items. If you are a fan of the podcast and you like us, then if you could do us a huge favor and go out to one of the podcast stores, rate us, leave us a review, definitely hit subscribe. That's the biggest thing you can do for us to help us get more legs on the podcast. We, we've definitely been growing. We appreciate everybody listening. Those of you that have left reviews and comments, uh, thank you so much. If you haven't, please do that. that that's a huge help to us. Um, the other thing I would say is if we, we, we love talking movies. So if you find us on Facebook or Twitter, um, definitely send us something. And we're, we're usually on there talking about something regarding movies in some way, shape, or form. So definitely hit us up that way. And uh, also, if you're looking, uh, we, we've heard some rumblings, uh, mainly uh, from Carson. I've heard some rumblings that we were on the hunt for some sponsors. So if you're looking or interested in sponsoring two views uh reach out to us uh two views movies at gmail.com 
and let us know what you're thinking. And we, I, I'm sure we can work you in. <laughs> we have space. We have time. <laughs> yeah. And I promise you it's not expensive. <laughs> uh, the other last thing for housekeeping, we have somebody who has sent us a promo, uh, Ryan L. Terry. He's a guy who has definitely listened to our shows and, and talked to us online. Uh, I've worked with him online at another podcast. If you've listened to me do some One Movie Punch episodes, he's a good guy, huge movie fan, uh, teaches a screenwriting class, but he was kind enough to send us a promo his way and for the support he's given us online and, and the shares and likes and conversations he's given us. We wanted uh, to share his promo that he sent across. So here's Ryan. Hey everyone, this is Ryan L. Terry, film and theme park critic, screenwriting instructor, and figure skater. You know, there's something about the magic of motion pictures that's always intrigued me and ignited my imagination. I firmly believe that the greatest art in the world is the art of storytelling, as the great Cecil B. DeMille once stated. Whether it's diving deep into a film's theme and symbolism, just kicking back and enjoying a guilty pleasure movie for pure entertainment, or discussing my favorite genre of horror, I love sharing my thoughts and feelings about movies with my students, friends, and fellow critics. You may have heard me on shows such as One Movie Punch, Movie Drone, Epic Film Guys, Movie Geek and Proud, or Cocktail Party Massacre, and if you would be interested in me making a guest appearance on your show, send me a direct message. Would love to get the conversation started. You can follow my film reviews at rlterryrealview.com. That's real with two E's. You can also find me on social media at rlterry1 on Twitter, where you can join the conversation with me and the rest of hashtag film Twitter. Thank you for listening, and I will see you at the movies. Thanks for sending that across, Ryan. We really appreciate it. We appreciate, like I said, the likes, the retweets, and more importantly, the conversation uh, that you give us every time you listen to the show. And Ryan's uh, been kind enough to share with us some podcasts that he likes, so I, I know I picked up a few from him as well. So we, we appreciate the listen and the conversation. But now, I think we're finally ready for the letterbox blurb. Let's do it. All right. Lewis Creed, his wife, Rachel, and their two children, Gage and Ellie, move to a rural home where they are welcomed and enlightened about the eerie pet cemetery located nearby. After the tragedy of their cat being killed by a truck, Lewis resorts to burying it in the mysterious pet cemetery, which is definitely not as it seems, as it proves to the Creeds that sometimes dead is better. Directed by a pairing, Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch, who did Starry Eyes in 2014. I've never seen that. Um, they had a bunch of other credits on Letterboxd, but it looked like maybe some short films, some other stuff. So safe to say, nothing that I don't think, Carson, you or I have heard about. No, I had not. Okay. Cast, Jason Clark, Amy Simons, John Lithgow, Jate Lawrence, and Lucas Lavoie. Were you disappointed that Apollo wasn't in this? <laughs> because of the, the Creed last name? <laughs> Uncle Apollo didn't make an appearance in the pet cemetery. Yeah, you know th this one had all sorts of uh, uh, callbacks to me. I mean, the Creed obviously was a big one. Um, I have cousins uh, and aunts and uncles whose family name is Crandall, so uh, it's more prevalent in the book. But that's John Lithgow. His his uh, character's name is Judd Crandall. So it's just funny to me because there's all these different callbacks as I was reading this. So. No, not surprised me. I would have liked to have seen Uncle Apollo. I mean, I, I would have been cool if that had if they had cast Carl Weathers in the Judd Crandall role. <laughs> yeah, just just peppering him with creeds all over the place. Yeah, that's not my casting change, but I would not be angry at anybody that said put Carl <laughs> Weathers in this. I mean, can you go I'm wrong with Carl Weathers? No, I mean, just about any role he'll be fantastic in. 
I wouldn't have said that, but man, Chubbs and Happy Gilmore went a really, really long way for changing my viewpoint on Carl Weathers. So I wanted to start a little bit different, and we normally we don't do this, but because this is a remake and it's a and it's a book, I don't like comparing books to movies. So I, my philosophy is if the book's any good, they'll make a movie about it, and so I don't I don't read those. But uh, but I want to get your take before I go into the original side of comparing the movies. But how did this compare? And I know there's differences because there's all sorts of differences from the original. But how did you? envision this movie compared to what you were reading um okay so usually things can kind of work one of two ways right like when i read a book i picture people in my head and then so a lot of times if there hasn't been a movie made about it you you kind of either associate them with actors or people that you know in this case, I knew who was cast in this movie so when i when i went into the book i all i could see was jason clark um, but I will say, even, yeah, but even, even after, like, as I was reading it though, I remember thinking to myself like, oh, okay, that's not who I would have cast for this role. So there, there's some obvious differences there just from what you envision in your head. And I'm the same as you. I, I really, really despise, even when I've read the book and it's something I love comparing it back to the, the movie and, and vice versa. Um, and we hadn't done the podcast yet, but a year or two ago, whenever Dark Tower came out, that's one of my favorite books or series of books. I love Stephen King books. I've I've read a good portion of them. I have a Dark Tower poster in my little reading nook, and that movie was just a steaming pile of trash. So I, I'm already I've already been kind of jaded about Stephen King movies because for some reason they they hardly ever translate the screen very well. I mean, Shawshank is crazy uh, good but you don't really associate it with Stephen King. So I'm talking like the, the classic Stephen King horror movie. So going into this, I don't like comparing them, but I, if I could summarize it, I would just say that it feels like these directors or writers or whoever just truly lacked an understanding of what made Pet Cemetery good and scary. And they just made wholesale change after wholesale change it felt like to try to be different and so between the combination of not really seeming to understand the source material and feeling obligated I think to differentiate themselves not only from the book but from the original movie I think they just kind of turned it into a generic horror movie with no real ties to either I would assume the original I I don't know uh, but definitely the book. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that watch this and just think, all right, fine, generic horror movie. And I think there's going to be people that have affinities for the original movie and the original book and just be like, okay, well, that was that was kind of trash. So that's kind of where I am. I was disappointed. Well, the uh, you forgot to mention Stephen King's The Langoliers because they nailed that on the head. I've never read that book, so I wouldn't know. Well, that came out, I think it was a made-for-TV movie. And uh, the CGI was one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, there's just, I don't remember anything other than uh, these glob monsters eating an airport. And it was, it was so bad. Yeah. I, I hear that the book, the book was scary and good, but the, the movie was, was awful. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't know what it is. You know, there's, 
I don't think I've ever seen Cujo, uh, but he went through a, a smattering of like made-for-TV Stephen King stuff. Like it was fine back in the day. I think I was too young to really, I think, appreciate it. And now it's just really kind of hokey. I mean, The Shining is a horror classic, and that's fantastic. Like I said, Shawshank is really good, but you get just you never know what you're going to get with Stephen King stuff. And I, I feel like the majority of the time it doesn't translate. Yeah. Well. But what you're saying about the changes, so I'm interested to see what, what changes they made, because they made a few uh, from the previous movie, which I think, which I really enjoyed, and actually made this one better than the original. So that's, I'm curious to, to hear your takes on, as we go through this, what they, what they decided to, to make different. But I think some little creepier changes they made, um, like right off the bat, were the kids in the masks with the funeral procession. That uh, that was pretty creepy. That wasn't in the first first movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I I've heard mixed reactions to that. I liked the addition of that. It's not in the book. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, anytime you put kids walking around in creepy masks, I mean that it seems like a just you know, an easy <laughs> an easy horror play. Oh yeah, and then you know the the turn and you can't see their eyes. It's just this creepy animal masks. Yeah, you're like a uh, cult or something going on here. Right. So there's things like that that they made uh, good changes uh, throughout this movie, and I think they made it better, but I think they, they could have gone a lot further with what they did. Because I tend to, overall, I found this movie kind of slow. Um, and kind of, well, get to the point. You know, I, I was waiting for, for more, even though I knew the story. I was hoping they wouldn't, it would be more of a reimagining, more of a reboot, I guess, than a, a remake. And it's definitely more along the remake side. Uh, do you, a remake to the so you felt like I'm trying to read between the lines here. So you felt like it was a remake of the '89 movie. Yeah, it was. It was very close to the '89 movie, but then okay. they, the, as we'll go, that they made some changes, like a kind of middle fingers to those that like the '89 uh, movie. Okay. Yeah. Um. So you. Hmm. I agree with you. It, it it didn't feel slow to me, but for a movie that was only like an hour and 40 minutes, it, it definitely it had some pacing issues, I guess I, I would say. Um, I, I never felt like it was slow. I just felt like it never um, ratcheted things up. I never felt overly tense. It just kind of was going through the motions. And obviously, I knew where it was going to go, at least conceptually, I knew where it was going to go. They They did change some things. But I, I never felt like that constant ratcheting up of either fear or tension. It was just kind of plodding along. So I could see how that would come across as slow to some people. Um, I, I appreciated that it was a uh, brisk in the uh, sense of the word that it was short, but uh, it didn't move along quickly. So it's not brisk in that regard. Yeah. And I guess it's the division of plots that bother me most like her sister like that whole plot line it doesn't make sense to me how it fits because it doesn't have anything to do with the pet cemetery like all of a sudden she's having nightmares about her sister um i guess she's always had them but it just seems like it's disconnected and do yeah, they do it, a better job of tying that together in the book yeah so the book is so much better with anything related to the character so the movie, it 
it doesn't even scratch the surface of any of these characters. It's like it doesn't even want to tell you about any of these characters other than the most superficial stuff that you can think of. Like, oh, he's a doctor. She's a mom. They have two kids. There's a guy that lives across the street. You know, and it doesn't barely get sub level. So there's a conversation that the mom and the dad have with the girl about death in the book. I mean, sorry, in the movie. And that's in the book as well. But it it becomes a big flashpoint in the book because um, the mom has all this anxiety about teaching her daughter about death because she's horrified of death because of what happened to her sister who had spinal meningitis and had, they had to take care of her for all those years. And so that haunts the mom and that fuels um, some tension between the mom and the dad and how they should handle the daughter. And it starts to broach this subject of death and how do you approach it and how do you talk about it? And it's a source of conflict in the family and between the mom and the dad. So that's all gone in the movie though. And it just becomes this, it just becomes this meaningless thing. Whereas in the book, she's haunted by this memory of her sister. It causes problems between her and her family. Um, the husband and her family don't get along. There's all these areas of conflict that come from this backstory of the sick sister. Um, and they also bring it around in a different way too. I mean, they, they try to do this a little bit where uh, she starts hearing the sounds again of the upstairs scratching when the daughter comes back, but they, they, they harp on that more in the book when the, um, when the child comes back from the pet cemetery, uh, it, it speaks to the mom like it's her sister. So there is a whole lot more of this. And, and the thing is, the book is not a long book. Stephen King will write thousands of pages in, in one book, you know, or not, I mean, like a thousand, it is like over a thousand pages. But this is like a 350-page book, so it's not like he he took all this time to draw all this stuff out about these characters. He really didn't, but he just formulates it so much better. So yes, the sister stuff makes a lot more sense in the book. Um, you can kind of piece it together in the movie if you've read the book, but I can definitely see how just watching the movie, it's like that feels really shoehorned in. Well, in, in both movies, it, it just seems like this also is happening at the same time. And so it's not connected, like it's like like they were on, like Indian burial ground, you know, where all these things are going to happen weird. It was about the pet cemetery, you know, them coming back, but then you have her being haunted by her sister, seemingly at the exact same time for no other reason. And it just there's, I get it that that's her motivation for. I guess it's not even her motivation, but more of a discussion piece of should we, shouldn't we, you know, come back. And is is there a soul when they come back, or what's changed, and all, all that stuff? Um, I could see how that could be conflict, uh, more for backstory. But the fact that she's that they keep making her have these visions, I didn't, I don't, I didn't get the connection. Yeah. So, and, and that's a good point too, because in the book, it's never presented as her being haunted by her sister, like legit being haunted, like the the dumb waiter is not even in the book. Uh, she doesn't hear these noises. That's not how it is. It's just something that happened in her past that they explain to you in the book, and it keeps coming up between her. Like, there's a really emotional part in the book where she finally spills her guts about what happened between her and her sister and her family and stuff, to, and it finally lays it all out on the table for her husband, who up until that point didn't know all of the details. But it's n- never in the book, is it, um, you know, she hears these noises upstairs or anything like that. So, it, to me, that's just them trying to 
figure out a way to fold in that storyline into this somehow and you get this sort of haunting with flashbacks kind of mess yeah the dumb waiter was new in this one too so they just added that in i guess to give her a a more dramatic death yeah i think i mean whatever i think they tried to i think it's like you and i talked about i think they had an idea for a scene that sounded scary and they wanted to shoehorn it in yeah because now you're you're waiting for her to look down the hole for the in the mirror (laughs) yeah exactly i felt like that was the whole point of it or to open the open the cabinet for a jump scare yep i i completely agree so and speaking of the jump i know you're a a curmudgeon when it comes to jump scares um you don't care for them so much in in movies You, you find them cheap is what you have said in the past yep actually this this one i had more jump scares in this one than uh than really any movie that I've seen in the past year, I think. Really? I, it I got felt... me on several occasions. <laughs> wow, because I actually thought that they were pretty telegraphed. Like, you, you pretty much knew when they were coming. Well, see, like, the truck at the beginning, when the truck whizzes by, I was waiting for that, even. And it still got me. You know, there there were a few that just like, dang it, you know? <laughs> you know okay, I was, I was... yeah. Yeah, the, the, I, I'll give you that one. I was not expecting that. I was more talking about... Uh, because yeah sure that's a i guess that's a jump scare because it's intended to startle you but uh it wasn't in a remotely you know horror-ish moment but anytime it was in those scary moments or whatever they just they telegraphed them but or they did the thing where uh you know like you were expecting something and it didn't happen right when you expected it but you still know it's coming like within like a five second radius and so I, i knew when they were all coming like you open the door and you're like, ah, oh, sigh of relief that there's nothing there. But you know, right when they turn around, there's going to be something. Exactly. It's exactly that. Right. J- just like the the scare we just talked about where she opened the medicine cabinet. It's not like it was sitting right there. So you're like, oh, it's not there. Well, I know it's coming now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All right. So I, I don't want to turn this into a referendum between the, the book and the movie. But I, I will say that the, the this list of complaints I'm going to run through right now, I think um it exists in the movie and it's made worse because i i know where the book was going with things so all right i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw some things at you okay so lightning round yeah yeah so i don't know how the the 1989 movie was but the lack of relationship between judd uh so john lithgow and and lewis jason clark or, or really judd to anyone was probably one of the biggest failings in the movie um it may not seem like that when you watch the movie but he's he's the key to the pet cemetery i mean they show that in the movie but his reasons for taking lewis to the pet cemetery are absurd they're ridiculous that it just makes no sense he has no connection with ellie at that point either and so her cat dies and then he just feels the need to go show Lewis, the, the the pet cemetery, just so he can have a cat back. Like, I don't know. It it doesn't work for me. Why why does this guy want to take this guy's cat up to the pet cemetery and show him this haunted ground that will bring his cat back to life? Like, especially knowing the can of worms it could open. In the book, it's done so much better because Judd's wife is still there, and um, Lewis actually helps. Uh, diagnose her with some with some issues and helps her and and saves her life actually 
when she has a heart attack, I believe. So he feels compelled then to help Lewis when his daughter's cat dies. And he has a better relationship with Ellie. So there's just stuff like that. Uh, I, I have others, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one in particular. Because to me, I thought Judd was the worst written character in the whole movie. And I feel bad because I, I like John Lithgow. And I think he could have done great, but they gave him nothing. Yeah, their relationship works a lot better with Herman Munster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the other one. But uh, none of that, you're right. N- none of that is in, in either movie. Uh, but I think the relationship between the neighbor and him works better um this one seemed like you know you're just all of a sudden going up there to uh yeah you're right and and the fact that they're walking so far and there's no questions asked you know how far they're going just to bury this cat yeah seems odd that kind of happens in the book but there's a lot of back and forth between the two on the way in terms of sharing information and he's trying to figure everything out but again it, the the long distance without a lot of questions works a little bit better when you know that these two guys have a, an existing relationship. You know, in the movie, it feels like, oh, hey, this this dude that lives across the street from me wants me to walk, you know, five miles in a swamp to go bury my daughter's cat, and that's completely not the feel for what it is. And and in the in the book, there's such a respect for the power of the of the pet cemetery and that that burial ground. And and that's all gone in this. It's just like this novelty act that people do in this town and get their pets revived and everything. It's, it loses all sorts of emotional weight. So I was just really disappointed because it, everybody just feels surface level, like I said earlier. And I, I think poor John Lithgow got the, the rotten end of that. Yeah, his character is not written well for, for screen. Right. And, and while we're on the subject of the, the long trek to the burial ground, that CGI that they pulled out, like, so like in the pet cemetery, things are fine, but once they cross uh, the deadfall and they start making their way back to the burial ground, they throw in some CGI shots there that were absolute trash. Well, even the actual ground where they, the Indian burial ground is what it was in the, the first one. Yes. They don't even mention that in this. It looks so much cooler in the 89 version, and this it just looks like a a one room set piece like they had no budget yeah. so it was really weird to where they actually buried it yep it is it, you you mean to tell me that they had to green screen it or put it on a sound stage instead of just going out to some hill in the woods and building something with some actual rocks and trees and stuff yeah, like just it, put some it, rocks it, out there <laughs> right yeah it made no sense it was it was really really terrible a couple of the other things i had were the the mom or the wife, whatever you want to call her, she finds out that the cat was resurrected because she knows that the cat is dead and that he goes and buries it and then it comes back. So she has all these suspicions. In the in the book, that doesn't happen. And I and I think it's it's better because then it becomes it basically he he learns this on his own and of what the pet cemetery can do. And then when the son dies in the book and I think in the eighty nine movie you know he's so stricken with grief that he sends the, his wife and daughter away and then he goes off and tries to do the resurrection because it's it's all this stuff about um dealing with grief and death and the movie just doesn't address that at all everything's just out in the open for everybody to know and they just give all this information away freely like being shown the burial ground and then everybody knows that the cat's been resurrected i mean the kids don't know but the husband and wife do so 
there's no there's no exploration of why he's doing this and the the guilt that was behind why he would you know one even decide to I know he doesn't decide but why Judd would take him up there to bury the cat then why he would go and try and get back his daughter it's just again it's all so flimsy and you can I, you can tie some of these back to just some key decisions of like in this case uh, the mom knew that the cat came back, so she knows something's going on, right? That uh, she may not know that it's specifically the burial ground that brought her brought it back, but that that's weird, right? <laughs> the dead cat, yeah. And then the last little bit I had that, that that really bothered me, and this is both as a difference from the book, but also from the movie. I just didn't like where they were going in the end that they all become uh, undead family. I I just didn't like it. Well, I liked it a whole lot better than what the 89 did. So I don't know how they ended in the book, but it worked a lot uh, better for me this way. Okay. What's the 89 movie do? He brings his wife back. They start making out in the kitchen and then they light themselves on fire. Wow. That's aggressive. I think I like that better. It's, It's not done well. Yeah. I mean, it's 1989. I assume when we're talking about this, a lot of it is, you know, quote unquote, not done well. Yeah, it just, it feels weird. It's like, it doesn't, I don't think it flows very well. I really liked how this happened. So I liked him getting stabbed by the mom. I liked them all bringing it back. I liked that they're all there. And I liked that they went hunting for the little boy. Because that's really freaking creepy. Yeah, okay, so I, I will give it that. The fact that they come back for the son is super creepy. I just didn't like how how everything goes down. It, like what do you what the best movies have something that you learn from and what is the lesson to be taken from this because you know there's no analysis of grief there's they all end up getting to be together in the end and so all the bad decisions that are made along the way and the people that died along the way just don't really matter because they're now this undead family um it just it didn't work for me uh, the creepiness factor of the kid the the son being the last one alive and them coming after him. I mean that that did work from a creepy standpoint but in the book um the the daughter is still with uh her grandparents so she's not even around and the husband the dad actually kills his son um but not after his his wife is killed and then the movie ends with um he carries her up to the burial ground in a white sheet and then he goes back and sits at home and then he's sitting there later that night and she comes back and puts her hand on his shoulder and says darling and that's how it ends but there's also this subcurrent of nobody quite knows how the indian burial ground works so he thinks that part of the problem that his son went bad is because he waited too long between when he was buried and when he took him to the indian burial ground because he you know, he exhumes him from the grave or whatever. So this time, once he finds his wife dead, he like takes her up there really fast and he thinks that she'll be completely fine because of that. So again, lots of changes from the yeah, book. Yeah, they, they mentioned that in uh, the 89 is the, the timing of the death. And that's why he came back weird. And so they, yeah, they address it, it in that one. They, they didn't address it at all in, in this one. Okay, yeah, because in the book, they present it as he doesn't really know, like, because Judd tells him that sometimes things came back fine, and sometimes things come back not so fine. Yeah, and Herman Munster tells a story about that, too, um, about uh, somebody else who did that, and then they burned their house down and killed them all, and that basically, that's what they ended up doing at the end of that one. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I like this ending better. And I don't know if it's just because I saw the other one first and I wanted something different, but I, I liked how they ended this. Okay. Yeah. Th- like I said, I'll, I'll get, I will get on board with the hunting. The sun at the end is super creepy, but I, I don't really enjoy the rest of it. I think that everything about this movie is just shallow. And I think that's where it's so really hard for me to ignore the book. I, I guess the way I look at this is I don't want to be that guy that compares the two, but I guess I compare it more to like having read the script and then having it not come out on screen. Like, I, and I can separate the two because I understand that, you know, when you, when you read a script, you know, you're pretty much going to stick with that and what, and that also kind of formulates what's on the screen and a book versus a script is a different thing. But like, that's how I feel this was because it's almost like there was some really good writing with depth of characters and uh, a story that really laid out everything nicely and, and everything was there. And then the directors just felt obligated to be different for being different sake. And part of what they chucked out, they, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. They, they threw away character development and emotion and everything like that. So that, that's what irritates me about this so much. Well, and I think our back and forth between the comparisons of the book and the previous movie on this particular podcast is because the movie was so eh, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's that's why we're doing this more than we would at any other remake or adaptation, because um, we were less than impressed with the end performance of what we got. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's one of those things where this movie certainly doesn't have any depth. And so we're kind of manufacturing our own depth by comparing it to, because I mean, what else would we sit here and say? I mean, it's a generic horror movie that doesn't do anything special. The performances, are, I guess, are fine. The story is fine. There's maybe some jump scares. It's shot like every other horror movie where it's dark, bleak colors, some bad CGI. So like, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. We're creating our own depth here. <laughs> and so, again, go- going back to to the changes that they made they made the girl the one that was uh the first zombie yep and that works so much better on screen than the three-year-old attacking them yeah uh it's it's so bad i mean it's like chucky running around and it's not believable when they're struggling with this three-year-old boy you know i, I mean a what is she eight an eight-year-old girl is a little bit more physical (laughs) than a three-year-old boy uh and so you can get kind of more believable but i mean even still there's a suspended belief there well you're you're also ignoring the fact that they are clearly demonically possessed not demonically possessed well it's something to that effect nobody quite knows they they kind of hint that it's something along those lines it's like the how many five-year-olds could you beat up well i don't know how many demonically possessed five-year-olds could you beat up Uh, less (laughs) bring the world into our discussion of how many <laughs> yes. you can fight at a time. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I could take five, but if they're demonically possessed, one. Well, I'd like to think I could take a demonically possessed five-year-old. Yeah, you just, never know. I mean, just the reach, the reach alone, you know, the, the factor of they just can't cover that much ground. Maybe they're fast, <laughs> but they still have a small, a small reach if they're coming at me with a, a scalpel. Well, I don't know. I don't know what they're capable of. The, the the daughter went like full matrix punches at one point. I don't know what that was. Yeah, and then she, uh, you know, face swapped. You want to <laughs> yes. call it that? Yeah. So shape shape shifting for some reason. I don't know why. I guess why she did that. 
Because um, it was cool. I did like... <laughs> I did like how the uh, they teased the scalpel under the bed. Oh, yeah. Him walking by the bed, and, and they teased it, because that's one of the more gruesome scenes in the other movie. And then he kicks the bed, and you're like, oh, they're not going to do it. And then they have him walking down the stairs, and she gets him anyway. <laughs> it's like, like because uh, that's like a very cringeworthy that you're just waiting for, and they, they got me on that. Was that in the 89 movie? Under the bed, yeah. Oh, okay. Where she cuts his, or the little boy cuts his um, Achilles with the scalpel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that was in there. Um, but yeah, that that was one of the few moments that worked for me because um, once it wasn't, it didn't happen when he kicked the bed, and then it didn't happen within a few seconds afterwards, and then he started walking down the steps, and and he got it. So I was like, oh, that one actually got me. Yeah, and so I, it, that was one of the uh, what I call the middle fingers to the people that have seen the other movie was it's not when you think it's going to be, but we're still going to give it to you, right? <laughs> so you said that. You, you like the switch from the boy to the girl, but did you like the fact that they gave that away in the trailer, kind of? You know, to be honest, I didn't even remember that. But okay. yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. They do give that away. It actually screwed me up reading the book because I was expecting the girl to be the one to get hit by the truck in the book. And then as I read it, it's the the boy. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't even remember the trailer, actually, when that when that happened. But when she was playing in the street, that's not what happened in the other in the other movie and I was like are they gonna hit her instead when he was running out there mm-hmm. and I, I did I did like the switch okay it just makes makes more sense from a purely fighting standpoint right <laughs> from a creepy you, you could converse with it I mean the the boy and the other one was from uh what kindergarten cop yes I mean he's a creepy little kid and he was really creepy in that and uh he, he did a good job but still it's like he's three you yeah. know come on <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I have to ask you this. When you left the theater, did you hear the song that was playing? Yeah. No comments on the song that was playing? Yeah. It's it's really Did you hear the lyrics? Yeah, cuz it's uh, so uh we can talk about this now. It, it it irritated me to no end because uh while I had not seen the original um 1989 Pet Cemetery, I'm well aware that the Ramones have a song called Pet Cemetery that was on that movie. And it actually became pretty a uh, pretty famous song for them. And the reason why the Ramones work so well is because in the book, Stephen King references um, Blitzkrieg Bop, the Hey Ho, Let's Go Ramones song. So it was a nice touch that they contributed a song to that. And then uh, the last credits was a really stupid cover of that song, which, you know, it's not the greatest song in the world, but it just was another example to me of why and how these directors got everything so wrong, right? Because the the reason why it was such a nice little thing to do in the 89 movies because it's by the Ramones and the Ramones are referenced in the book. But when you just do a crap cover of that song, it's just whatever. Again, you lost the meaning in it. Oh, I don't even remember ever hearing that song before. Yeah. And maybe I'd know the original, but I was walking out and listening to the lyrics like, wait, what is this really? Please don't bury me in a pet cemetery. Yeah. Like, come on. Like this is this is like Eminem and Venom, you know. Like, <laughs> no, you, you, you just leave. You just leave on a sour taste. Yeah, no, that that's a uh, the, the Venom song is actually somehow much much worse than that. 
Uh, my my issue with the Pet Cemetery song, like I said, isn't the quality of the song. I, I don't think it's great, but it's it's just a, an example of how out of touch the filmmakers were to just not get why that song even halfway works in the first place in the 89 movie. Yeah, no, it, it was awful. And if I even liked the movie at the end and I liked the ending, then they, they just sent me in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, it's a very on-the-nose <laughs> song. No kidding. I mean, they say... Don't bury me in a pet cemetery. How I mean, <laughs> more on the nose can you can you get? Yeah. What do you think about the acting? I think I think you mentioned it. It was all fine. Yeah. I mean, there. I mean, I like John Lithgow. I thought he did he did fine. Uh, Jason Clark. You know my feelings about John Connor, but he, he was fine. No one was a standout at all. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, I, I think Lithgow. Yeah, had had bad writing, so I'm not gonna knock on him. I, I originally didn't like the Jason Clark casting because it didn't feel right to me based on what I had read. But then once I kind of saw what they did with the character in the movie, he seemed to fit because basically I don't trust his face. He, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you could cast him as a genuine good guy in a movie, and I'm always gonna think he's up to no good. And I don't know why that is, but that's how I feel about him. And then that's kind of instead of being the character who goes through this tragic grief processing and tries to figure out what he's going to do and he's basically tormented by all the stuff happening to him, it, it almost feels like Jason Clark in this movie just kind of uh, like relishes it all. You know, he's happy that he turned his daughter and he, even when he's trying to kind of kill her again, not that he killed her the first time, but you know, like, like kill her when in the pet cemetery, just it all feels like Jason Clark's up to no good is what I'm trying to say, and that's that's good casting on my part, even though that's not where I would have wanted the movie to go. Yeah, that's an interesting take on Jason Clark. What, do you trust his face? No, I don't trust his face. I don't like his face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that he gained from, well, Planet of the Apes, he, he lost in Terminator. Yeah. So, it's really the trailer, you know? It, it ruined it. He shouldn't have been John Connor. And coming off of Christian Bale, and you, you demote yourself to Jason Clark as John Connor? Come on. He's not the savior of the human race. I'm sure we're going to have a lot more to say about Terminator when Dark Fate comes out. <laughs> yeah. I'd much rather be talking about Dark Fate. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I didn't I actually thought he was okay at certain times like the 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 lone tear that happens at the funeral scene i i thought was and he was really good right around that section but i'll be honest like the the my child died and i'm processing this i think the gold standard for that for me now especially in a horror movie is hereditary that whole movie basically pet cemetery should have been more like hereditary and we would have had a much better movie and Shout out to Tyler from Who the Hell Is This For podcast because I'm sure he just had a big grin on his face now that I'm mentioning Tony Collette in Hereditary. But that that's what this movie should have done. They they should have taken this movie, looked at Hereditary, and said, oh shit, how can we do what they did in that movie and apply it to this movie with the concept of a pet cemetery? Yeah, see, and that's you just hit it on the head of, I was really hoping for, to keep the concept, make a new movie. That's what I was hoping for. You know, kind of ignore the source material, but you have the concept here. Mm -hmm. And instead, we got a remake, not a reboot. And that's that's what hurt my 
my overall feel of this movie. Yeah, you know how when you uh, make like a copy of a copy of a copy, it starts to like degrade in quality, whether that's you know technically music or files or pictures or even copy machines. Multiplicity. Yeah, yeah. That's what this movie feels like. Like there's the book, and then there's the '89 movie, and there's this movie. And instead of them each like kind of building on each other, or even like you said, maybe going in a different direction or whatever, it just feels like something's lost a little bit each time on the way. I, I agree completely. And I haven't seen the '89 movie, so I'm just assuming that from everybody that I've heard and everything I've read, that the '89 movie is better than this. See, that's where I'll disagree. I like this one better than the 89. Hmm, okay. And there's, and there's no nostalgia bias or anything like that. I just, uh, the, the changes that they made were better and they made the movie better, but there's no need to watch them both because they're basically the same. But if you're, if you're picking one, the, this one is better personally. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious that I wonder if some of that just comes from the fact that it was, uh yeah nostalgia or in 89 or maybe it's a little bit closer to the book so book people like it more i'm not sure again the three-year-old kid is not a scary villain (laughs) creepy creepy eight-year-old girl you're you're getting you're getting warmer you know i don't know i think you can make kids pretty scary you can they didn't sure they can (laughs) that's a different story so so you need you need to go watch that and say nope you're right eight-year-old girl is better yeah um, did you notice there's a couple of Stephen King Easter eggs? Did you catch those along the way by chance? Um, not, no. Okay. I don't think so. At the uh, birthday party, I think it's Jason Clark. I'm pretty sure it is, but I, I could be misremembering, but he's talking about a dog that went rabid and attacked some people from rabies. Um, so that's a reference to good old Cujo. Cujo. Yeah. Yeah. And then when she's stuck in the traffic jam, the wife trying to get back to her family, uh, there's a whole traffic jam on the highway, and she sees a sign that says Dairy 20 miles away, and that's where it takes place. And I think what I heard online, I don't know how true this is, but that the traffic jam might have been caused because I think on the radio they say there was an earthquake with a couple survivors, and uh, you know, spoilers for it, but when they finally kill Pennywise, there's a giant earthquake that happens. So that was kind of cool. I did not catch either of those. Yeah, because for those that don't read Stephen King, uh, he kind of did the whole MCU thing in his books before that concept really existed. Like all his books can be tied together through his shared universe, and he has characters that show up in certain movies. Like the the backstories of it has the hotel keeper from The Shining, and just all these sorts of crossovers that happen, and it's done in a really cool way. So the more you read Stephen King, the more you get to piece these things together. And it'd be a lot cooler if they did that with the movies. They should, and there's a show on Hulu called Castle Rock where I think they are trying to do that, which I still haven't watched yet, but I know they are trying to do that. With Stephen King stuff? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Well, clearly, now that I'm on to Easter eggs, I have run out of things to say. Where are you at? <laughs> Agreed. Let's get to the questions. I am Thor, son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say. Are you ready? All right, so let's go. Where did you rate it and why? I gave it a two and a half, which is what I gave the 89. Um, all the reasons that we talked about uh, mainly pacing I thought was I felt it 
being very slow. And uh, again, it's a it's a remake, not a reboot. What about you? Yeah, we're actually uh, in lockstep on this one. I'm at a two and a half. I I don't know. I feel like I might be cushioning it a little bit more because I'm trying to not be the guy who takes stuff away because it's not like the book. Um, so I feel like if I was comparing it more to the book, I'd be at like a two. I don't think I could go below two because once you get like sub two, you're into just really trash movies that just fell completely apart. But two and a half is where I'm at for all the reasons that we've said. It's fine. It's totally fine. And you get a lot more leeway in the horror genre. I mean, it's an average movie. In yeah. The horror genre. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing like last week you said Shazam was entirely forgettable. Uh, Pet Cemetery is entirely forgettable. Oh, yes. You can, yeah. Put that on the shelf next to Shazam. Yep. Uh, the only thing it'll be good for is when you're flipping through the guide one day and you're like, oh, I wonder if this is 2019 Pet Cemetery or 1989 Pet Cemetery. And odds are, I'm guessing you're probably just going to skip right past either one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so what was your uh, favorite moment? You mentioned this earlier. I, I struggled with this. I, I don't know if you did, but man, coming up with a favorite scene was just like, uh, I don't know which which of these kids is the least ugly? Like, I, I don't know what I was even trying to do here, but I ended up going with the Achilles scene because I did think that was one of the few kind of, I don't even know if it was a jump scare moment, but it definitely, they, they, they played me on that one and I got tricked. So, and it's just kind of a gruesome scene too. So I was like, okay, I'm good with that. It's a good scene. Mm-hmm. How about you? It's really gross. It's hard, hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. um, mine was the bright, the bright burn trailer before it. <laughs> oh my god hold on you better pick something from this movie or else i am going to send film twitter after you because they got all over me for avoiding the casting question and you're gonna say your favorite moment from the movie is something that's not a part of the movie that was my biggest takeaway was brightburn but i will i, I do have one of the movie but brightburn looks freaking awesome and i'm excited for that although i do think the trailer is giving way too much away I didn't think they I'm, needed that. I'm hesitant because it's Netflix. So that's my, my my one big caveat. I do appreciate the fact that they completely ripped off Zack Snyder's Made of Steel down to the fonts, down to everything. That was <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, I think it looked awesome. Anyway, um, mine was the end of the when the zombies are hunting the boy. I, I like that scene. And I don't know if it's just because it's different. And there's a one different thing that uh, was in this movie. But I liked them creepily walking towards the car and you just knowing what's going to happen there. Right. Yeah, I can so get that, behind that. That was my, and that it was the end. <laughs> yeah, it was finally over. <laughs> and on to, on to the great song. Right. Exactly. So what was your, what change would you make? Um, I said make it a tense emotional horror. So not, like I said, I feel like they lost what made the movie scary. It's a, an analysis on grief. It's an emotional horror movie. It's not a jump scare story. It's not a, oh, the dead are coming back and this is supposed to be scary. Like that, that misses the mark on what this is supposed to be. So in short, like I said earlier, take what worked about Hereditary and apply it to this with a pet cemetery. And I think you would have been golden. That's not bad. The uh, you know, if I'm s sticking with the same script, um, and not just kind of reimagining all together, uh, mine mine was was the pacing. It just felt like when Jason Clark's walking through the house looking for, 
um, the daughter or the cats, if it feels like 20 minutes to me, like him just <laughs> slowly walking through. And then John Lithgow does the same thing in his house. It's like, Oh, come on. You know? And there, there weren't these added things that made it creepy. It just, there's just slowly just time suck of them walking through the house. And I just couldn't like, there's other things that we could have been doing, you know, to make this a scarier moment, I think. But yeah. Yep. Yeah, I won't disagree with you there. Uh, there, there was a lot of um, walking around houses. There was a lot of shots of houses. Um, this, <laughs> this movie seemed to want to insert into every scene transition an exterior shot of a house for some reason, which uh, I was confused by. But th- just something I caught while I was watching it. Well, they did. They didn't want you to be confused at which house you were in. Yeah, which house was burning in the the first minute clip that we showed you that we're going to flash back to at the very end. That's John Lithgow's house. Right. Uh, that that was such a weird thing to do to the overhead shot. Like I knew what it was from having read the book, but it it was one of those where in hindsight, it had no real purpose for doing that. For burning it? Well, no, 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 or for the showing, shot. Showing it at yeah. the Oh, I agree. And and I thought they were going to do the, you know, two weeks earlier. And I was like, oh, this is unnecessary to do. Yeah. But they did they didn't put that on the screen, but that's basically what they did. Yeah, they did. And like I said, it has no impact later. Like when you see that shot again, you're not like, oh, you're like, yeah, okay. I think that's only because of the 89 movie. Oh, okay. And, and because you think that he's burning himself and his wife. But they uh, didn't do that. Okay, because in the so, in the book, he they do burn Judd's house. Um, okay, yeah, well that, he, that he might make that. a little bit more sense. He does that as well. Um, that they burn his house too, but it's just more. I don't know if they're just trying to head fake you or what. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to excuse them for something <laughs> that I agree with you. Please you shouldn't have done. Okay. What <laughs> <laughs> so casting change did you make? Um, I took out. So uh, part of me wanted to take out John Lithgow, but I didn't think that was fair to him because the writing was so bad. So I took out the that, trustless that's why. space. It's, more, it's, it's fair to him to get him out of this movie, you know? Oh, well, I, it's like a mercy killing. Yeah, it was like a save his filmography. Yeah, well, I always feel like my casting change needs to improve the movie, but I see what you're saying. Like, oh God, poor John Lithgow. Just get him out and we'll replace him with a worse actor. <laughs> That's one way to go. Yeah. But no, I, I took trustless space Jason Clark out and I put uh, your boy Joel Edgerton in. Joel Edgerton. Okay. Because I feel like he, now given if we're just talking casting changes, nothing is going to fix this movie the way that it's written. But if they wrote it the way I wanted to, where there's a lot more emotion to it and there's more of a family connection, Joel Edgerton's got more of that family guy kind of feel to him and i think he could play like the emotionally tormented side really well whereas again with jason clark i'm just like waiting for you to be kind of bad because you look deceiving no i like that that's a good choice yeah i i almost went with jeremy renner (laughs) but it doesn't matter just do a coin flip joel edgerton or jeremy renner (laughs) Uh, I, I i like the joel to to throw a wrench in my theory that those two are the same um I don't think Jeremy Renner would have been good in this movie. Because Joel can't pull off a mohawk. <laughs> no, no, he certainly cannot. But do you don't think Jeremy Renner would have been in this? 
Oh no, no, no. Jeremy Renner's too much of a like uh uh yeah. If if by chance Jeremy Renner ever hears this, I apologize, but he strikes me as too much of an arrogant prick to um be the the, the family guy. Like I, I don't buy his family scenes in the Avengers movies where he's Hawkeye. Like, yeah, you look like you just want to go out clubbing all night, not really hang out with your family. <laughs> That's the vibe I get. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I don't know. That's that's how I feel. I mean, I don't trust Jason Clark's face, and I think uh, Hawkeye only cares about himself. Wow. No, you're you're not even saying Hawkeye. You're saying Jeremy Renner. <laughs> he's <laughs> got, not even Hawkeye. He's got the face that looks like he would not want to be home at night at nine o'clock reading his kids' stories. He wants to go out and have a few more shots with the boys. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yes. So Jeremy Renner will not be sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> so Jeremy, that is Garrett at two views, <laughs> not Carson at two views. Right. Who hates your face? Yes. <laughs> I hate Jason Clark. So um, he's out. Just more, not because he did a terrible job, but more out of you know spite. Uh, so I got him out, and I put in. Clive Owen, because where's Clive Owen been? <laughs> we are just not making friends with Hollywood actors in this episode. But seriously, where's he? Been? I like Clive Owen, though. I don't know. I like him. I don't know. And and, tr- and, and truly, I, I feel like most anybody. When I was trying to replace, I was like, this could be anybody. This truly could have been anybody. And so I was going through, and and I, I miss Clive Owen. Where where's he been? So, oh yeah, look at you trying to redeem yourself, buttering up to him now after you say, "Hey, where'd your career go?" Oh, that, that's absolutely true. Of uh, where'd your career go? I liked you, and you just vanished. No clue where you went. Uh, I oh, see. He, I, he knows. He, I don't have to butter him. He knows his career's gone. <laughs> you know that, that's that's him. He knows exactly where he's at, which is nowhere. But he'll, <laughs> I'm trying to get him. I'm trying to get him back. Come on back, buddy. We like you. <laughs> yeah i don't uh, yeah uh, fine there's no way either of us could really argue a casting change in this because i i don't i don't think it matters so just swap in or swap out whoever you want whoever you would prefer in that role uh, it works fine by me tom hanks yeah sure why not it it would be like a, a burbs that actually ended up being a little bit scarier i would like to see tom hanks in a horror movie i mean you get it kind of in the burbs but it's more obviously clearly more of a comedy but that, that's the closest you're going to get hmm. work on that hollywood <laughs> from mr rogers to mass murderer somehow wow that you went mass murderer that's not really horror that's just you're just saying tom hanks is the slasher he would be the hollywood silly, serial killer you know <laughs> oh my god the no you, i don't know that the one you the one you least suspect God, nice guy you know everybody likes him maybe we should start with him being a, a drug lord in a military heist movie <laughs> and then we can ease him into a slasher horror okay okay we'll, we'll start there yeah we'll for those of you who don't get that joke right. go visit our triple frontier episode <laughs> that's what we should start doing we should start doing our own connected universe we just make jokes and comments about previous episodes we've done so people have to like follow the trail back to figure out what in the world we're talking about you have to listen to Pet Cemetery podcast to get this about yes. End- Avengers Endgame. Yes. <laughs> right. And I'm trying to do that with my Renner Edgerton theory. I've tried to string that in like every, I don't know, six or seven episodes. I feel like I dropped that in. <laughs> that they're 
replaceable. Except about which you deviated. You deviated this time. They're not replaceable because you because you hate his face. That's a new thing that we have not heard before. No, 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 he's no. Out, I, out. I didn't. I, hold on. I didn't say I hated Jeremy Renner's face. I just said he has the face of a guy who seems like he wants to go have some shots at a club instead of hanging out with his family. That doesn't mean I hate it. It just means that's the vibe I get. <laughs> it's just who he is. Yeah. Okay. What award did you give this? Um. Okay, I gave it the least understanding of source material for a Stephen King movie. So, having been a Stephen King fan, and I've read several of his books, I've seen several of his movies, he, there's been some bad movies. Uh, the Dark Tower was a horrific movie and, and hurt me. It hurt my soul. I felt that was more of a problem of not understanding how to even remotely begin a, uh, what is it, like eight eight novels? where to begin and how to do it like the casting i was fine with but it just felt like they didn't there were some stylistic choices i didn't like and some other problems i had with it but i at least felt like they 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 kind of got the source material i feel like this one aside from the fact that it has a pet cemetery in it and that that there's a resurrection that happens they get all the characters wrong they get all the motivations wrong everything else about it is wrong they get the song at the end wrong like everything is just wrong about it so uh i felt like they just didn't truly understand what made this a a great stephen king novel okay yeah because dark tower would have been my my counter argument but you 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 attacked it head on yeah i had to because the dark tower is a miserable godforsaken movie but i think that was yeah a byproduct of having something so big in front of you then not knowing where to go with it and I'm not going to be able to do this justice because I haven't read Stephen King's books. I've seen, I think, every movie, including the Stand miniseries. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got to think some of those are really off the mark. <laughs> like, for example, the Langoliers. Like, I just can't can't imagine that that's what's written on the page. Oh sure, uh, and I, I again, I would have to caveat that with like out of all the books I've read and all the movies I've seen, I clearly have not read or seen them all. So yeah, that there's there's some scope limitations in there that I I have not seen them all. So take that. <laughs> so yeah. this one, I'm really hoping you get creative with because I've I've truly thought about it uh, all weekend of what uh, a counter argument would be. And I think I'm sticking with this. Is the best use of a scalpel in a movie? Hmm. Hmm. I, I will have you know the very first image that popped up in my head was Passenger 57. <laughs> you know which scene I'm talking about, right? Always bet on black. Yes. Yeah, where Claude Rains is getting the the getting ready to go into the facial surgery. Yes. Let's uh yeah, I'll stick with my award. it's a very particular uh award the the only other one and and only because i couldn't think of what he actually used and now that i'm saying it out loud i believe it's a switchblade but when arnold cuts his arm off in uh in t2 but that's a isn't that a switchblade knife so yes that's that is a knife um, but in T1, if that's what nobody ever called it, Jesus, in Terminator, um, he uses a scalpel on his eye in that famous scene. 
Yeah, but that's not better than than this. Going after the mm. Achilles, the way she oh, did no. that. That's a pretty classic scene with Arnold in front of the mirror, stabbing his eye out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The scalpel? Oh, that was a pen. Mm. He, did he use a scalpel? I feel like it was a scalpel. It could have been. I don't know where he yeah. would have gotten a scalpel, though. Yeah, you just go down to the five and dime and pick it up. What are you talking about? <laughs> scalpels everywhere. <laughs> That's what the, the, the T eight hundred just strolling in and yeah. grabbing some scalpels. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna stick with my award and I'll I will welcome other scalpel scenes, although I hate that. I'm a I'm a very cringy person when it comes to something like that. Like I can see a guy get shot about a hundred times and blood and guts everywhere, but when you do like scalpel stuff, uh uh-uh. uh. No thank you. There's a reason I work for a bank. My guess is somebody would be able to chime in. There's got to be some pretty gruesome horror movies where a scalpel is used. Yeah, and and I tried to think about those, and I view it as more of this is a a quicker use of a scalpel. I mean, I just think it's a better use. No, I'm I'm sticking with it. What does Mister Blonde use to cut off the police guy's ear? That's a that's a uh, straight razor, right? Yes. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to think about this some more, but I, I don't want to put forth the brain power to argue about scalpels in the context of Pet cemetery. That, that's not how I want to spend <laughs> <laughs> the rest of my night. So what, uh, what movie, if you liked Pet cemetery, what movies kind of like it? I said if you like this movie, you would also like 1922. You watched that, didn't you? With The Punisher? Yep. Our boy Tommy Jane, Netflix movie based on Stephen King material. He kills his wife, right? And buries her in that well. Yeah, she's in, in the well with the cow in the well. Yeah. Or no, comes... that was his excuse. Oh, or right. He actually put the cow in the well. Uh, I don't know. Forgettable. Just like Pet Cemetery. Yeah. And I believe it was slow as well. Pacing mm-hmm. was pretty slow with that. No, that's a good good comparison, only because you yeah. didn't like either of them. Uh, I wouldn't say didn't like. I, you just kind of felt nothing about either one. But there's yeah. a big difference. Nope, that's that's okay. I'll take All that. Right, what, what do you got? I went the Poltergeist reboot of 2015, starring Sam Rockwell. Mm, well, I cannot even comment because I did not see that. I didn't even know Poltergeist had been rebooted. Yeah. And I, I love Sam Rockwell, but this one is not exactly memorable. Sticks pretty pretty true with some a few changes in there, but it's uh basically the same story. Same so story wait. as this. Oh, okay. So you're saying there's a cemetery where you bury people in poltergeist and they come back to life? No 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 no. Well, I mean they're on an Indian burial burial ground, but I'm mm-hmm. saying same as there's a previous one and they they remake it. It's a remake, not a reboot. Got you. And truly, there's not much to remember about it. So I feel like you're going the route that I went with Long Kiss Goodnight, where it's not necessarily that you connect the dots straight. It's more of like thematic comparisons, where if you're okay with it, this remake that is maybe slightly iffy compared to the original, and it's a horror movie, then you're going to like this other remake that was slightly iffy and comparable but you get sam rockwell 
<laughs> okay. I'm just making sure that you, you've been giving me crap now for several episodes about my, uh, if you like this, then you would like this. And I feel like you just kind of went down the same path I went down with Long Kiss Goodnight. And I have no problem think, with it. No, no. But see, the thing is that Long Kiss Goodnight was a worse movie than Captain Marvel. No. Captain Marvel, that's what you compare it to, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, that's it. Yeah, okay. And uh, I think Poltergeist is a better movie than this, but they're, I mean, they're, they're close. And so I'm giving you one. If you like this, you're going to like Poltergeist. Interesting. I, I'm just staring at the uh, 4.9 out of 10 for the 2015 Poltergeist, so I did not assume that it would ne- be better than this. Neither of these are good movies. 6.3 for Pet Cemetery. So far. Yeah, so far. It, it could drop for sure. Those are the people that like horror movies that went out and saw it this weekend. Well, yeah, that's that's true. I don't think there was a lot of people Which rushing out to see Pet Cemetery. Get, gets a hold, <laughs> right? Yeah, because I, I I'm so confused too, right? Because Shazam technically opened this weekend, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know we saw that early, so I'm kind of thrown off because I completely ignored Shazam this weekend. I thought Pet Cemetery was the only thing that opened, but no, I was wrong on that. All right. Well, it sounds like we, we've exhausted everything we possibly can with Pet Cemetery. Think we're good? I think we're good. All right. Well, next week we are going to be talking a Ron Perlman-less Hellboy. I don't know how I feel about this. Ah, uh, thank the good Lord. Yeah. I like the sheriff from Stranger Things, so I'm looking forward to it. But I have not seen either of the first two Hellboys, so I have zero understanding of what I'm about to walk into next week. It looks pretty similar, actually. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad this is rated R. Um, I'm not been wowed by any of the trailers, but uh, um, he's got to be better than than Ronnie Perlman. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you do own his autobiography. Thank you for that birthday gift. <laughs> hey, not too many people know what it takes to get down Easy Street the hard way. <laughs> the hard way. Yeah. God, he sucked. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hold off on watching the other Hellboys until I see this one. Um Kind of the same reason I did Pet Cemetery. I just, I at this point, I'm one week away. I might as well just wait and go into it, and then kind of reverse course afterwards. So, it's a good plan. Yeah. Well, we mentioned it earlier, but I'll mention it again. Go out to the podcast store, like us, leave us a review. That is super helpful. And by this time, you should know where to find us online. But if not, we're on Twitter, Facebook. You can email us at twoviewsmovies at gmail We'll be back with Hellboy next week, and that's it. We will catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both!